now introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So I took some time away and I got my ducks in a row. You'll notice that I kind of left the pod world for just a few months right after I left Covenant just to kind of, it it was just overwhelming to kind of get interviews lined up and everything and get my life lined up and get everything in order to figure out exactly what it is I'm doing now as a self-employed theater technician and designer and consultant and trainer and all of that stuff. And I've got to tell you, I'm not going to do this long introduction. A couple weeks ago, I post or I um, recorded a 19 minute just like bleh. And then I thought, you know, I shouldn't post it uh, because I talked about, you know, when I go into schools, I see this and that. And um, it was rather negative and stating things that I saw that were unsafe in schools and I have done really, really well being self-employed so far, but I still have had a limited number of schools that I've been into and I don't want to incriminate those people. Um, I'd rather just kind of help them fix what it is that is wrong in their school and move on and go from school to school. I also, if I tell everybody what's wrong, You'll go and fix it and you won't hire me and pay me. You know what I'm saying? It's bad. It's bad business plan. So um, I'm not going to do that, but I will tell you this. Uh, There are lots of issues in schools when it comes to simply when it comes to lighting, safety issues mostly, and then just a lack of understanding what it is they need uh, to make a show successful when it comes to lighting, right? A ton of these directors, actually all of these directors, I shouldn't say a ton, all of the directors in Texas theater education have a lot on their plate and I want them to hire out for things that they don't know. And the people I've worked with thus far have been smart enough to recognize that they need to do that. Right. Instead of just trying to figure it out within a short amount of time. I think that all of these directors over time will figure things out. Right. And uh, it's just a matter of getting their, their feet under them. And, and if they don't want to figure out lighting, audio, video, then call people, especially if you can afford it. Just do it. Why not? You know, I thought, um, I, I don't think I'm going to go back to the classroom next year. I'm still on the fence, I, but I, I'm not sure, right? And here's the reason why. Um, I've done really, really well over the past few months. Have I, you know, been able to save up to afford a trip to Disney? No. Have I been able to feed my children and pay my mortgage and my car note? Yeah, I have. And that's what I want uh, out of this. And what I think will happen, what I think, what I hope, being fully transparent, is that now that people know that I'm available and more than happy, actually way more than happy to come out to your school and help you, sometimes for much cheaper than I probably should charge, um, they might budget for me and expect me, you know, and or, or not expect me, but uh, work me into their season. And I would love that. I would absolutely love it. I've had so much fun, not only a helping 
students and teachers be helping schools get just a better system under them and see I've been able to spend time with my own girls. Uh, I get to take them to school. I get to make my own schedule. And sometimes I will say no to somebody or that I'm not available on a certain day because really I just, I want to be able to go to my kids school to see them in the little five minute show that they're doing, right? Mostly Eleanor, but it's just really nice. So all that said, the podcast is back at least for now. Um, and yeah, there might be another break, but I have put a few interviews in the can. This week, I've got Jeff Davis. Uh, Jeff has a different story than a lot. He moved from LA. Uh, he's a California guy, and it was really fun to get to know him. Um, I've gotten to know quite a few people now. Uh, I've still got some stuff lined up for interviewing, and I just, um, you know, I, I do miss getting to know people. I don't necessarily miss uh, hunting people down. So here's what I'm going to do this go around with the podcast. You want to be on? Get a hold of me. Um, and I would love to get to know you. If I already know you, I'm happy to put you on and we could talk about something else. We can talk about more. I don't know even, you know, one the, the best piece of advice I ever got from a mentor of mine named Esther Smith she said that the reason her marriage worked, and her husband is deceased, Jimmy, um, but the reason her marriage worked is because they learned something new about each other almost every single day. And I say that because this podcast, even if I've had you on before, Mandy, Jay, Destiny, uh, Tress Curzum, right? I've had them on multiple times, Amy, Wernig. Uh, even if I've had you on, I clearly don't know you 100%. So, Hunt me down instead of me hunting you down. Message me. Send me an email, blake.minor at gmail.com. If you have my phone number, which I'm not going to put on this podcast, uh, shoot me a text, give me a call, and let's talk. Let's put you on the record. I even had somebody, I'm not going to say who, maybe they'll be on at some point, that was on the podcast when I first started, almost one of my first uh, interviews, actually. And that person approached me and said, why haven't you had me on the podcast? I said, I have, I have had you on. Yeah, but you didn't really have me on. You, you didn't really know what you were doing. I didn't know what you wanted. You should have me on again. And so I'm going to have that person on again. Clearly you'll figure out who I'm talking about, um, when I have them on. But my point is, is I'm tired of the hunt. So hunt me down and let's figure out a time to put you on. Cause I would love to do it. So a couple of, uh, other things real fast. Um, I want to send my condolences to Charles Jeffrey's family. Uh, he was he was on in the uh, early part of this podcast too in 2020, um, and just a legend in the world of theater education. Texas theater had an impact on a lot of people. Clearly, uh, you can you can tell based on all of the the, the posts that were on social media, and just beyond that. Um, and so, you know, if you want to hear Charles speak, uh, go back in the archives into, into 2020 and uh, you can uh, hear his story. But but it's not about that. You know, it's just cool that I, I've got it on record. Uh, but uh, my condolences to his family, his friends, people that he impacted immensely. There's no good way to follow that. But I do have to shout out Mel Edwards. 
uh, and her, her podcast. It is only on Spotify right now, whatever Mel, but, um, I do want to shout that out. It's a great podcast and we, uh, every once in a while we'll go back and forth with, you know, this, I, I I'm like, Hey, I've encountered this. You should put it on the podcast. <laughs> Cause <laughs> you know, um, she's, she has bigger balls than I do. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, something she's really good at, at kind of putting things out there that says, Hey, you should really think about doing it like this and like that. I'm not as bold, uh, or as, as well versed as she is when it comes to that. Uh, but I highly encourage you to check that podcast out. Um, and then finally we are in UIL season and, uh, best of breaking legs to everybody that's out there. I just contest managed this past week for my first contest of the season this coming week. I'll be sort of a tech director at a contest and then I've got uh, uh, one, two, three, four more contests to manage um, and having a ball doing it. They, they are, I will never adjudicate. No way. You could not, you could not pay me enough to adjudicate and it's because it's just hard and my attention span is not there. Uh, but I absolutely love contest managing. And one director this past week said, we're going to have you back because you didn't add stress to the contest. We've had contest managers that add stress to it. And that's not my job. It, your job is to make things easy, make things run smoothly. That's it, right? I learned from the best. Shout out to Jay. I've talked enough. I've talked enough. If you want to get to know uh, maybe uh, what it is about your space that you should look at and fix and reconsider, whatever, let me know. Reach out. Blake.miner at gmail.com, blakeminer.com, my website. If you have my number, shoot me a text. If not, send me a message. Send me a message on Facebook. But I want to come help you. Uh, I absolutely love it. It is exactly what I want to be doing. And that's it. Enjoy the interview this week with Mr. Jeff Davis. I've been teaching theater for, I think this is my seventh year. Um, and I've been with the Leander uh, School District for, for that entire time. Um, taught a couple of years at another campus in our district and then shifted over to, uh, to Vandergrift, which is a great, uh, uh, an awesome public school in, in Austin. Um, but my, my story of how I got here is, uh, I think, a bit different than a lot of other theater teachers. Um, I do have a degree in theater and then I completely did not use it <laughs> for about 10 years and then um, just kind of fell into this in an interesting way. But um, I, I guess if I want to go like really, really far back here, um, I'm definitely one of those like theater kids. Like I, I'm the stereotypical theater nerd. I, that's who I was in high school. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I attribute that to my parents because they um, kind of saw that I had an interest in in the arts and sort of fostered that. Um, I also think it's kind of funny that their first date was to go see Camelot in uh, Los Angeles. My dad uh, bought two tickets, one for him and one for his then girlfriend, and then she broke up with him uh, on, I think, the day that they were supposed to go see the show. So he called my mom up and said, hey, I don't know what you're doing in a couple hours, but if you want to go see Camelot, I've got a ticket. And she said yes. And that was their first date. So um, 
yeah so i feel like um theaters has like been a part of my family and a, and a part of my um you know of just how i grew up um you know they kind of raised me on like riders and hammerstein shows and um took me to see phantom when i was five years old i was definitely the youngest person in the audience when when i went and saw phantom for the first time uh and i i've just always loved theater and and loved the arts and um when i was in in high school you know i i thought i wanted to be a performer i really enjoyed acting um but my high school had an ib theater program which is a course that i now teach which is really kind of fun um but part of the ib theater program it's a it's an international program that's very project based and um part of that involves doing uh, a directing project where you come up with a a directing proposal for for a show and to kind of prepare us for that my teacher gave all of the ib theater students an opportunity to direct um a scene from from any show of their their choice for like a showcase thing um and it could be like 10 15 minutes long like a sizable chunk of whatever show you picked um and i picked a doll's house which is a very <laughs> meaty show that I've I've just very recently revisited. I just closed a production of it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, that really made me think like, whoa, I, I really enjoy directing more than I enjoy performing. Uh, and it hit me like even when I, uh, you know, I was a 17 year old kid and like it hit me that the thing that I enjoyed the most about performing was all of the preparation that comes before it. Like, really getting into like the meat and potatoes of the show and, and understanding your character and their psychology and their motivations and how those interact with the other characters that are their scene partners and as a director you get to do that for every character and for the entire show and for the show's relationship to the audience like everything you know you, you get to really dissect the show and put it back together and that's something that I really enjoyed. Um, and, and I uh, I started to pivot from, you know, oh, I want to be a performer to, oh, I want to be a director. And I applied to um, a couple of theater schools in California where I grew up. Um, one of those was UCLA. Um, and UCLA's theater program is very competitive. Um, they make everyone, uh, you know, audition, which is, not uncommon uh, for theater programs, um, but even for the tech and directing programs, you had to go in and show your work and do an interview. And I went in for for my interview, um, and it's a brief, you know, fifteen minute interview with a professor of the directing program. And um, this man, you know, sat down with me and asked me like, what um, what made me want to direct, and I shared with him you know, the story about a doll's house and my opportunity to direct a scene from it. And he was impressed that I picked something like a doll's house as a as a high schooler. Uh, and he asked me, you know, what made you, what what appealed to you about a doll's house? And and I said, yeah, I just think it's so interesting that one, it still is timely, like it still holds up, even though it's over 100 years old. Um, but I also really enjoyed the story about the show and how controversial it was at the time and how it was so controversial that Henrik Ibsen had to write 
a different ending to it. And this man looks at me and like kind of does the head tilt and the huh, you know, kind of look and says, I didn't know there was an alternate ending. And I don't know what compelled me to do this that day, but I brought my script with me. And my script had an appendix in it that had the alternate ending, which is seriously just the last page of dialogue is changed. Um, and I, I was like, well, if you want to take a look at it, I've got it right here. <laughs> and I showed him and he was like, just kind of floored that this, there was something about this show that he didn't know. And I'm pretty sure that's what ended up getting me into UCLA. Um, he ended up being one of my directing pr professors and, uh, I really attribute that show to um, a lot of stuff with with my career. Um, but uh, moving forward from that, I mean, UCLA was a fantastic place to study. Um, it was it was great for me because I was an hour away from home, so I still maintained a great uh, relationship with my family and friends, which I, I still have. But um, but it also was you know, far enough away that I could, you know, be my own person. And, and it, it really was a, a fantastic um, theater school. Uh, great, great professors, great students um, that I'm, I still maintain relationships with uh, a lot of them. And a lot of them are now working in this industry. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it did kind of hit me like in my junior year that, oh man, I'm about to graduate and I want to be a director and there's just not that many jobs in directing and what the heck am I going to do uh, And uh, when I get out into the real world? And as I'm kind of thinking this, there was one night where I, I was studying for finals and pulling an all-nighter and ordered a pizza at like 10 o'clock at night and you know the pizza delivery guy shows up and he's one of the theater classmates that graduated the year before <laughs> before me and like this guy was super talented and now he's you know delivering pizzas so i remember calling my parents again at 10 o'clock at night um sobbing like crying my eyes out as i'm sitting on the floor of my apartment eating a large pizza by myself and i'm <laughs> just like i probably sounded completely unintelligible to them but i remember saying to them you know, I'm going to end up being a pizza delivery man. And that, that's my, I just saw my future tonight. And I don't like, what am I going to do? Um, so then the next morning, my, my dad called me and was like, you know, I, I think you need to, to pivot and you are so smart and you have a great mind for business. I think you need to go into something that's business related. And I was like, yeah, dad, I don't want to do something where it's like the same stuff every day. I don't want to be sitting behind a desk all day. Um, that doesn't sound like me. And he's like, well, what about human resources? Like go into something like that where, you know, you're dealing with problems, you're dealing with people, you're, you know, and every day is not, you know, not the same. Um, and this is one of the times where I actually listened to my dad <laughs> his advice. And I was like, okay, well, let me look into that. Um, and UCLA had um, this program called UCLA Extension, which was a certification program in different areas. And one of them was human resources. So um, I got a certification in HR and, uh, and that became my career path right after uh, graduation. So um, the, I ended up being more in like the recruiting end of, of human resources and um, worked for about 10 years in that space, um, it 
from doing, you know, corporate recruiting to doing, um, doing some uh, recruiting for like actual, you know, headhunting and recruiting firms. And I was good at it, but it just like, it's soul crushing <laughs> at times. Uh, it gets very competitive. Um, there's, it, it just was not the right environment for me. And like, at the same time, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I spent so much time and energy and money getting this degree in theater that I'm really proud of, but I'm not using it. Um, and, you know, I just wasn't fulfilled at all. Um, and then uh, I ended up moving here to Austin after I met my my now husband. Uh, we started dating uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and then a couple weeks into us dating, he tells me that, you know, hey, I might get this promotion at work, but if I, you know, if I apply to it, the job's in Austin, it's not here. And of course I'm thinking like a recruiter, I'm thinking, well, you know, you're gonna have to interview for it. Who knows who else is gonna interview for it. You're just gonna kick yourself in the pants if you uh, if you don't, you know, try and don't interview. So go for it and then we figure out what happens with us if you get it. Um, so then a week later, he's like, yeah, I got it, now what? And uh, so I ended up moving to Austin uh, oh God. Okay. So we, we started dating the day after Valentine's day and we ended up moving here at the end of May that year. So it was only a couple of months that we had been together, uh, before we moved out here. And immediately I was like, I, I need to check out the, the theater scene here. I need to see what's going on in the theater community. And, um, I started writing for, um, Broadway world as a, a Austin theater critic and made a lot of friends in the theater community through that. Um, and, you know, one of them uh, came up to me one, one time and was like, hey, I know you, you've got this degree in, in theater and a specialty in, in directing. I'm trying to start up a new theater company and we need someone to direct our first show. Do you want to do it? And I was like, heck yeah, I want to do that. Um, and their company um, used a high school space as, as their space and utilized high school students as their crew. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. We did a, a bunch of shows in that space um, together. And uh, and I got really close to the high school students that were you know working on our shows with us. And uh, one day, one of them reaches out to me and says, hey, our uh, our theater teacher just uh is taking a leave of absence for mental health i think it was mental health issues i don't know exactly what the situation was uh but he says you know do you have a teaching credential because they're looking for a long-term son and i was like no i don't but damn i wish i did because that would be fun to like work with you know in this space every day um and at that point i i was not working in recruiting anymore i was unemployed and unhappy and was looking for you know, what the heck's next for me? Um, so uh, I looked into getting a teaching credential and uh, ended up finding an awesome program in Austin uh, for that and got my uh, my certification in, uh, in theater teaching. Um, and part of that certification program was uh, involved with a um, two-week internship at a local public school. So uh, my internship ended up being at uh, Leander High School. 
uh, under um, Linda Major and uh, her then tech director, uh, Chuck Harris, and learned a lot um, with the, and immediately bonded with their, their student body and they had amazing students. Uh, and at, uh, shortly after the internship, I get a call from, from Linda saying, you know, Chuck's going to be leaving at the end of this year. I'm going to need a new tech director. The job's not even posted yet, but you better apply to it. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, like tech's not, tech and design is not really what I studied. I mean, I took a few design classes at UCLA, um, you know, kind of like intro to set design, intro to lighting design, you know, just some basics. But that's not really my comfort zone. But you know, a job is a job. Yeah, I'm gonna apply to this and and see see what happens. Um, and maybe I I don't get it, but maybe there's something else you know in somewhere else in the district that might be a good fit. Um, so I went, I interviewed, um, I sent in a really god awful portfolio of design work because at that point I'm I was not a good designer. I think I'm I'm much better at design now, you know, seven years in than I was then. But um, but it was good enough to get me the job. So <laughs> um, so I took the job uh, and I was the tech director over at uh, Leander High School for for three years and learned a lot. Um, it was a lot of trial by fire and a lot of learning on the job. Um, we did you know. Linda Major, anyone that that works in uh, in the theater uh, as a theater teacher in Austin probably knows her name because she was she'd done this for I think almost forty years by the time she retired. Um, but she was very particular and very um, detail oriented in how she wanted her shows to look and feel, um, and really really pushed me um, to always like do more and do better and just kind of like throw more stuff on stage you know bigger is better was kind of her thing um and it really i'm glad i i had that as my first head director that i was working under because it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone because i was used to working with a community theater where it's like you had a two thousand dollar budget and you're going to stretch that budget as far as it will go and you're going to do things with you know, small sets, small, you know, you know, limited sets, limited costumes, because resources were limited. And here I am working with someone who's like, no, 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 give me everything you got. And uh, the first show that, uh, first musical that we did together was Adam's Family, which is, you know, a giant, giant show and a really fun one to design. Um, but I, um, like I, I walked into that thinking like, oh my God, I've never designed a set this big. I've never designed a set for a 50 foot wide space. Like th this is really not at all what I'm I'm comfortable with. Um, but uh, we pulled it off. I, and, I, and I really attribute um, the students and the parents over there for that. Um, we had incredible students and parents that were like, whatever you need to get this done, we're going to, yeah, we're here to support you. We're here to help. So, you know, we do like Saturday build days and parents and siblings and, you know, friends and neighbors would come and help out. But we came up with a 
really incredible set for that show. And I think that was like the show that made me think, okay, I can do this and I can do this long-term because until then I was kind of thinking like this job is just like the stepping stone to, you know, a te- you know, a theater teacher job where I'm more focused on act, you know, teaching act- acting and, and directing productions and not doing the design work. Um, and, uh, and then that show kind of made me like, um, appreciate what I have as a designer more and um, really made me enjoy designing a lot more. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other shows that we did at, at Leander that um, were really challenging and fun. Um, we did Thoroughly Modern Millie, which um, won the, I think they were then titled The Gatsmas uh, over here in Austin. Um, and my set for that one, I think, got a nomination. My set for Adam's Family got a nomination as well. So, um, and then uh, after that, we did Mary Poppins, which is a show I hope I never have to revisit. That show is a beast. Uh, if you are a high school theater teacher that's thinking of Mary, doing Mary Poppins, think real hard because it's it's a fun show. It made made us a lot of money, but it is hard um to do that show and do it well um but uh uh right after mary poppins um COVID hit um so we were very very lucky that i mean our show was i think the end of end of january beginning of february and then you know so just a couple months later you know everything shut down and um i know that my high school theater like they had to cancel their show because of COVID. Um, and then during the beginning of COVID, I found out that the tech director at Vandergrift was was leaving. And I had become really close friends over the last couple of years with the head director over there. Um, and I was thinking, you know, it might be time for, for a change. Um, Vandergrift also had a great reputation for having an incredible, um, just, an incredible campus community and a great um, student body and a great booster club for their theater program. And um, it also was a three-person team instead of a two-person team, which changes things a lot in, in a very positive way, I think. Um, so it was really appealing to, I mean, even though it was kind of a lateral move, um, you know, it was the same exact job title uh, in the same district, same pay. Um, it was a really attractive move for for those reasons. Um, so I applied to that and and got it. Um, and I've been at Vandergrift now for this is my fourth year and um, really, really proud of the work that I've done there. Um, and really, um, I, I, I've had a lot of fun um, working in that space. Um, the other kind of fun thing with Vandergrift that I didn't have at Leander is I'm also the auditorium manager over at Vandergrift. Um, and the auditorium is my classroom space, which it wasn't at Leander. So um, there's a lot of stuff in that job where, you know, I'm not just responsible for designing productions, but I'm also um, kind of looking at the space and thinking like, well, how can we make this space better for us and everyone else that uses it? So you know, we've done a few upgrades to the space in the time that I've been there. Um, our sound system is a lot better than it 
it was when I first walked in. Um, we've got a few new bells and whistles in terms of lighting that we didn't have when I first got there. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that I really in, enjoy is like looking at what's now on the market in terms of the technology that's available to us and bringing that in and exposing the students to that and and getting them to to play with those those things and uh you know like there there's a lot of um and there's a lot of like me learning along with the students because technology keeps changing at such a crazy pace i mean when i was in college i don't think short throw projectors were a thing um and now they're you know everywhere and projection mapping is everywhere um i don't i mean i know moving lights and leds were a thing when i was in college but they were so ridiculously expensive we didn't have those and now they're everywhere um so you know getting to train students on how to use stuff like that is just um really kind of fun but it's also something where it's like i have to teach myself before i can teach them <laughs> because no one taught me this stuff in college because it wasn't really you know useful yet it really wasn't feasible yet um and that's one of the things i really enjoy about what i do is that it is you know th this even though this is an art form that's been around for thousands of years it's constantly changing and the the types of shows that high schools do today um are i think far more challenging than the shows that i got to do when i was in high school um because the technology on broadway keeps changing and then you know we're trying to emulate that in our spaces and um i mean we just did legal legally blonde which i think is a great example of this um one of the things that i do in my process when i start designing a show is um i'll read the scripts is if it's a musical I'll, I'll read the script but i'll also try to find the score including all of the like set change music so I can time, I literally time the set change music and I think like, okay, how many seconds do I actually have for this transition? And that kind of dictates how much stuff I can put on the stage and, it, you know, whether it's going to fly in, whether it's going to roll on, you know, how does it get on and off the stage? And I get Legally Blonde and the beautiful thing with Legally Blonde is there's that awesome pro shot of the Broadway production. So I watched the Broadway production and I timed all of the, the set change music. And I was like, there's no set change music except for maybe three spots. Like every scene just bleeds into the next scene with no transition. There's no spot for a blackout. There's nothing um, in a lot of these, these moments in Legally Blonde. And then it hit me that Legally Blonde was one of the first shows on Broadway, I think, to use automated scenery. So everything was computerized, everything tracked on and off seamlessly, things came out of the ground, like all of these things that, you know, high schools just aren't able to do. And uh, and then when they licensed the show, they weren't nice enough to, you know, hey, let's give you some optional set change music here between these scenes. Um, so that was like one that was a, a really interesting challenge to navigate with the students. And I think we did a great job at like figuring out how to mask scene transitions and and do things in you know mid scene without really being noticed 
Um, but that was a really, really tricky one and and one that I'm kind of glad we did because uh, it I think it's made my students sort of think about uh, what they do a little bit differently and um, you know figure out how to you know problem solve things like that I think is really a valuable skill. Um, so yeah that that last thing you said about the well, I want to talk more about that in a little bit about the set change music thing because. That, that's like a, that's, that was a big mic drop right there because i think that's a that's people are always uh or i say always that's a hyperbole but i do get a lot of questions about like focus more on the person's uh process so i do yeah. wanna, i would i do want to touch on that a little bit but i want to go back uh one funny thing is uh my wife and i have a similar s- story to how you and your husband started uh dating oh really a, a different situation but similar in that uh a guy turned her down and then she MySpace messaged me like the that I think either that same day or the next day for a New Year's party and was like, Hey, just oh shot gosh, in the dark. So cool. I didn't know that she that I was playing B uh <laughs> until later, right? Um, but uh it's just funny how like yeah, and I was just like, Yeah, sure, whatever and then we went on a and date and here we are, you know, two kids and yeah. fourteen years later. So um fourteen blissful married years, wonderful yeah uh great just kidding <laughs> yeah they're all great but uh i just thought i'd throw that out there so yeah uh, it's so funny you know leander is it's it has a uh notoriety for being such a hard place to get into because nobody wants to leave um yeah you know like it like, is. like it's it's such a great district it has a great reputation of being such a great district that like you with Linda Major, who I've, I've had on this podcast, you either have to wait for somebody to retire like Linda mm-hmm. or, you know, like Paul Davis was in, was, was in yeah, the for what, 10 years. Yeah. And like you know, he got the PVA th- you know, it's like the, either you get bigger and better or you retire or you die. And like, it's, you know, and that's how you leave right. Leander. There's nobody leaving Leander because they're just upset with, something or another you know it's like it's or very few and far between so uh good on you for kind of like yeah i i think i i just lucked out and i was looking at the right time yeah you know um because i i i think that was the only theater i might have been the only theater teacher that entered that district that year i could be wrong but i think i was the only new hire right uh in into the theater community in the under isd that year yeah yeah so and and i think most years after me it's been one or two people every year if that yeah that have entered the district yeah it's not an easy place to get into which is good it's good that's a good thing yeah good problem for them uh when you were younger because you mentioned how your parents kind of helped cultivate your theatrical Mm -hmm. you know uh, desires or whatever with musicals and you talked a lot about musical type things do you remember the first play you saw and like kind of how it compared oh, to you know the because musicals are so big and body yeah and, um and then you go see a play and, and and you talked about all your your sort of infatuation with ibsen or with the doll's house not necessarily ibsen but, right uh so do you remember that experience god that's a good question um i don't because the the musicals i mean the, the musicals are the ones that I remember the most because my, my yeah. mom took me to see Wizard of Oz when I was like three. Uh, and then they took me to see Phantom of the Opera when I was five because I begged them to take me. 
Um, and those ones really stick out because it was like this, the, the spectacle on the storytelling is like, you know, really like even at, to a young kid was like, wow, these people can create this world and tell the story um, in a, such a limited space. Um, and, but in terms of plays, yeah, I'm trying, I'm racking my brain right now trying to remember what the first play was that I saw and I, I'm, I'm struggling to yeah. remember. Um, yeah. Do you think it was um, high school? I mean, do you think it was like your high school it, experience it, or? It, no, I think it was, it had to have been before high school, okay. but I'm, I'm just running maybe a, like a, a Christmas carol. Okay. It, yeah. That might've been it. Like, cause I remember when I was in like fifth grade, sixth grade, we did a field trip to see um, a non-musical production right. of A Christmas Carol, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Like that one sticks out in my head. Yeah, it probably was that. I'm, okay. I'm guessing it was that because my my parents aren't real big like playgoers. Right. They're definitely more musical theater inclined. I think I've I've grown to be both. Like I love going to to see plays, but um, I think there are, there are also far more musicals around and musicals tend to be more popular and yeah. make more money so more theater companies go in that direction typically yeah um although austin i feel like there's there are a lot of theater companies here that you know do some great you know plays and a lot of great dramatic work right yeah absolutely austin's a great spot for, for it that really kind of is stuff yeah uh, so the, you, you broke down your directing and you, and you elaborated on that with the UCLA chat. Mm -hmm. Uh, but have you ever started your process in directing a show or, 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 um, breaking down the script and, and analyzing each character one by one mm -hmm. and realize you actually don't like the script? <laughs> um, I've been really fortunate where I, I think every show that I I've either picked or, or been asked to do. Um, I've really enjoyed okay. the text. Um, I have not run into that problem. Um, but I have run into the problem where like you go in thinking the concept is going to be this, the, the, the overall feel of the show is going to be this. And then as you start to work with the text and work with the actors, you realize, oh no, this is a completely different production or a completely different story than what I had in my head. And, um, sometimes I see a lot of directors like resist that. And I think it eventually blows up in their face. I'm more of the mindset of like, if my actors and my rehearsal process is telling me to go in this direction, go in that direction. You know, you, you've got to let the show be whatever it wants to be instead of forcing it to be something else. Right. And um, there have been a few shows where like I've made, you know, big changes in blocking or big changes in just kind of the look and feel of the show because I realized, you know, oh, that this is different than yeah. what I had initially anticipated. Um, I'm even co revisiting a doll's house recently, which I, I just um, did with my students. Um, the first table read, uh, I was like, there's actually some comedy in this script that people don't really talk about and i was like guys we got to mind the comedy because that makes the ending hit even harder yeah that you know you're letting the audience expect that like oh things are gonna ha you know if they're not familiar with the show which a lot of people 
and a lot of people are, but yes. a lot of people Spo- are. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, things don't exactly end up <laughs> happily for Nora. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted the audience that didn't know the show, you know, going in to think like, oh, well, it had such a light tone in the first scene. Everything's going to end up okay. Yeah. And, you know, and we also talked about like, okay, with Doll's House, everyone talks about that last scene but that last scene is 20 minutes of a two-hour show you have to understand what you know all of that lead up and why it's important and how it's important and you know the comedy was actually a a big piece of that and one of the things that we got a lot of feedback from the audience on that like from the people that did know the show was like oh i forgot that there was actually you know some one-liners in there and some funny bits and like you know so it it didn't kind of enhance the show but that's not the show that i walked in thinking that we were going to do i thought we were going to do a very serious drama and and i mean it still was serious when it needed to be but it it was light when it needed to be that too and i didn't expect that going in right that's yeah good yeah you you have very good answers um (laughs) you don't waste words but uh that's probably your human resources side of things but yeah have you do you have a different type of appreciate because typically theater educators and human resources they do not get along right uh do you have a like you know when i when i call uh my cable provider or my uh uh, wireless you know Mm wi-fi provider and they pull put me through the whole rigmarole of have you tried unplugging it and plugging back, you know, that right. whole stuff. And I'm like, yes, I'm a, yeah. I'm a grown man. Like I, I know that you have to do that. Right. As we all right. do now, do you have that kind of relationship with human resources where if you call them, you say, Hey, hey, hey before we start, <laughs> I did this for a decade. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I've been very blessed that I have not had to have, <laughs> I think, any conversations with human resources since I've, right, I've started work at Leander. Um, but but I do think like it has helped me with the way I navigate things with my my school admin. Yeah. And I think we as theater educators like theater and English and history, I feel, are the areas in public education right now and science to a a certain degree too that like what we say and how we say it is like is under scrutiny all the time um and the types of shows that we do with with kids and the types of shows that we're that putting out in front of the community you know people are going to have an opinion on every single thing that you put up on that stage and every word that is said on that stage and i'm very cognizant of that but i'm also someone that takes the approach of like i work with high schoolers they're familiar with this these types of themes they're familiar with this type of material they say and do a lot of things that are probably worse than things that the characters in our shows are saying and doing or they know someone that has you know so um you know i'm not nearly as conservative in some of those ways as i think some people in the community are but i'm also very aware of like you know you don't want to you don't want to piss off certain people (laughs) in certain demographics and i think the human resources um education that i have has made me really good at kind of spotting those areas and addressing them with my school administrators in a really 
productive way. Um, like with Doll's House, we actually did um, Doll's House and and Doll's House Part Two in rep with each other. And um, if you're familiar with the Doll's House Part Two, it's very modern in its language. It's comedy, and it's you know there are a few four letter words in that script and they're all there for for comedic effect like you can take the words out and it's not going to affect the story or the characters at all but there were some that i was like man i i really want to keep this word in because it's just not as funny if we can't say shit like it, it, the the shit word was the one that i was like really fighting for um and the script had seven instances of that word and seven instances of the f word and i re remember walking into my assistant principal's office and thank god i have an assistant principal that is a fellow theater major like he understands this stuff too in a in a way that's really uh productive for us um but i walked into his office and I'm like so this script is great but here's the issue i was like there's seven f words there's seven eight you know uh, S words. Obviously, we're gonna take the F words out because that that's not even a battle that I want to fight. But I was like, how many times, like, how many shits can you give me? Was the question I asked. <laughs> and he's like, well, how many do you need? I was like, I would love to keep all of them, but I know that's not possible. I'd really love to fight for three. Here are the three. Here's why. And uh, and I showed him like the page of the text where I wanted to keep them. And he looked at it and laughed and was like, yeah, that's funny. Like, you can't change that punchline. Like, it's got to stay. Um, he's like, it, it's not being directed at a person. Like, just, you know, I don't think it's going to be an issue. You keep it. And, I mean, I thought that that was going to be a much longer discussion. But I think because I went in with this sort of like, hey, I know, I know we can't get away with this. I know we can't get away with this. How, how far can I tiptoe up to the line? Like, I think going in with that kind of mindset and that compromise made that a much easier conversation. And and to my knowledge, we never got any complaints or right. anything about it. So I'll send something anonymously or something. Yeah, but. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think even like, uh, was it the FCC allows a show to have three shits? uh yeah it's there's some rule about that like because i the, the only i'm a big as you can see behind me i'm a big wrestling fan right and so um uh yeah, sometimes have some colorful language yeah and so there's there's there are some wrestling organizations that are on tv and they they drop a couple curse words and i think yeah. that like there have been stories in in the media about so-and-so was mad at so-and-so because they used up one of their shits because <laughs> you, know? you know they were planning on saying it or something like that right, right. Yeah, yeah 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 so which could or could not be true but yeah. i you know i think it's kind of a funny story uh have have uh before you moved to austin with your husband or at that time boyfriend but uh yeah. had you ever been to austin and or texas no okay so i moved here i i was out no actually i take that back i was here for a conference in Dallas once. Okay. And it was like a, you know, your whole day is packed in right. this hotel You're kind of exploring. thing. So I like never yeah. really got to, to, you know, explore the city. I was like stuck in a, I don't know, a Hilton or something yeah. for a whole, you know, a long weekend. So yeah, that was the extent of it. Uh, so I moved here sight unseen and, um, and we, we drove 
our cars separate like we we came at the same time but we were you know we both wanted to bring our cars from right. california and so we didn't have to buy a new car here so we're each you know driving our cars separately it is a really interesting uh journey to get out here right. we took three days to drive from california to austin and uh you know stopped in i think new mexico along the way and somewhere in west texas along the way and uh yeah, but I I not moved. I had not been to Austin, visited Austin. Um, we hadn't even like seen the um, the apartment that we ended up moving into. Um, my husband had a friend out here that looked at the apartment for us and was like, "If I had it, or looked at a few apartments for us, I was like, if I had to pick one, it would be this one." And and we we're like, "Cool, we'll sign a lease." Like it was crazy. I I but it all worked out, and we stayed in that apartment for years and uh you know i fell in love with austin immediately and um yeah i i don't see us ever moving out right. of this this town it's Good. it's a great place to be yeah there's i mean you know i i won't preach it from the mountaintops but you know a lot of austinites are angry that a lot of californians are moving to oh austin. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I try to keep that a little hush hush that i'm yeah. not originally from yeah. here no, no Bruins tattoos on your forehead or anything. Like no, that. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Bruins is so, so as we kind of talked to off Mike, uh, you know, we have a, mm -hmm. turns out we have a mutual friend from UCLA and I'll be completely honest when, when I saw that you went to UCLA, I was like, I'll, let me call Eric and find out if he, um, uh, knows you but I don't think he does because he went to the film school. And then I, and then he goes, yeah, I do know Jeff. And that's when I realized, you know, I've been best friends with Eric for 20 years now. And, uh, for this whole time thought he went to film school, <laughs> Just, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. It was theater. Yeah. 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 The, uh, yeah. Theater, film and television was yeah. all in, in one little spot on that campus. But and, yeah, you know, the, 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 the question really is like, do you, is, does UCLA get kind of a, I know people, uh, love UCLA and it's like a destination and, and it's always been a great right. school to go to, but do they get a bad rap for theater because people just assume LA, California, it's right near USC film, you know, do people, I don't, mistake I don't it think so. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think it still get, has a, a pretty good reputation for theater. And I, I, I granted, I've kind of lo lost touch with the, the campus over the years. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure everyone that was my professor is now retired because, you know, it's been 20 some years. Right. Um, but the, um, but I, I, I mean, a lot of my classmates are are now working in the in industry. The, I think the caliber of the productions that we were able to put on were, was pretty stellar. Um, I, uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I think we always felt a little overshadowed by by film and television um because you know it's la and and you know we were part of the the school of theater film and television and um i do think theater um got overlooked a little bit in in terms of that entire school but that said i think the the caliber of the the professors that we had and the education that we got was was pretty awesome so right. um you know i'm i'm pleased with um with my decision to go there. Um, but, but at the same time, like, I, I don't know. I think the theater schools, like there's always like 
okay, NYU is great, but ooh, Juilliard or Juilliard's great, but yeah, right. you know, look sure. at Michigan. Yeah, there's always like there's always another uh, another handful of schools that are doing exactly what your school's doing as good or better right. than you know, but ultimately it's like a degree is a degree. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're I think if you're good at this and you're passionate about it everything's going to fall into place the way it needs to. And like, I think for me, like maybe I needed to go on that 10 year journey of going through a different, completely different career right. only to come back into this. I think it's made me appreciate what I do a lot more. Right. And I think it's made me in, enjoy it a lot more. So uh, I've got a few more questions for you and then I'm going to get you out of yeah. here. Uh, first of all, have you ever had to tell somebody what a Bruin is? Like, do they not I know? Have, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, no one, yeah. no one knows. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, I've had to have that conversation with, <laughs> with several of my students because there's a little, yeah. You know, my my campus does this thing where they make little signs of like, you know, your name and what school you went right. to, and what the heck is a Bruin? Yeah. What? Because it's got our, you know, and then I've had to explain it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, so <laughs> when you um, uh, talk about your your set change music technique, right? Uh, and then yeah. I've got two more questions after that, but so with the, with, with that, um, like what made you decide that? Like, when did you figure out that that was part of your sort of pre, um, honestly, it, it was Adam's family. As okay. soon as I did that show, I mean, that was the first musical I, I ever designed a set for. And it's a, that one's a beast of a show and that script, first of all, um, every scene of that script is like a room in the house, another room in the house, yet another room in the house. So my, when I, my first production meeting with uh, Linda Major on that, I sat her down and I was like, how many freaking rooms of this house do we actually need to see? Like, can they please go back to some rooms occasionally? And, and we decided, you know, if we're going to spend a lot of time and money on this great hall set, a lot of these other rooms in the house are going to be the great hall, like the main entry foyer of, of the house. So like, that's one of the things that I try to do too, is like, pare down the set, if you can, like repeat locations or flip things around to be other locations, which honestly is a technique that like, your Broadway tours, your Broadway shows do this all the time, where, you know, you'll see a set piece come out, and it's something that's already been on stage, but it's redressed, or it's turned around, or it's somehow transformed. Um, I do that a lot because it saves storage space backstage and there's always, I mean, we always need more storage space. Um, but the, the set change music thing was something that I learned off of, off of Adam's family was that you, if you're doing your job, right, you, the audience doesn't notice the set changes, but they're going to notice it if they drag on because you've gone past the you know the set change music or you've had to loop the set change music and um yeah so i i like i seriously make a spreadsheet of the transitions and how long i have for each one <laughs> and and that really helps me kind of figure out like oh, okay well if this is supposed to be a 10 second thing that that better be a drop that i can fly in and right. out because that's going to take no time right um if I've got 25 seconds, well, then I can do a really, you know, I can roll some big pieces on and off and, and, you know, 
it's it's going to look and sound fine right um but it really does get you to like understand kind of the way the show is meant to run Mm -hmm. and like how the original team sort of conceived it to flow Uh, and that really really helps like once i understand that um the design just kind of takes off for me i bet your music director appreciates all of that but you know yeah i i think (laughs) probably yeah i don't think i've ever had to ask a music director to give me additional set change music except for that first show except for adam's family yeah because i didn't know to do this yet right smart yeah that's very smart so uh so that leads me into uh the question about tech so you know you're not a tech director by trade um you've you've learned things and right you know uh, i don't know you very well other than this hour-long conversation but you seem to have a good theater mind and and sort of mm-hmm. uh understand you know what you need to do in order to be the best what is it that you did because mel edwards and i talk about this constantly almost daily about like these idiots out here doing this and that and, and hanging, <laughs> hanging flats with, with, uh, shoestrings and, you know, all, right. all these kind of stuff. If, if, if you only knew how much crap Mel and I talked oh. about people, um, what is it that you like, you know, where did you figure out? I don't know what, how to necessarily word this question. And typically I'm pretty good at this, but you know, where do you kind of draw your line of like, I can't just hang things in the air. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, someone that took rigging classes or right. I can't necessarily put this much weight on this platform because this caster is not rated. How, where did you learn that kind of stuff? Is that just trial and error? Or is that, I you... mean, some, some of it is, but a lot of it is, I mean, I'm not afraid to, to admit right. what I don't know and right. ask other people for help or, or look things up. And I mean, in, in terms of rigging, like rigging is one of the things that like, I love flying set pieces but at the same time it's one of the most dangerous yeah. things yeah. that you can do i mean you're you're suspending several hundred pounds of stuff over your actors heads right um you know and, and like it's a liability thing like i want to make sure that we're doing stuff like that correctly um and there's so many resources out there so many people that know how to do this that make a living out of doing just that um so i mean i I will fully admit what I, what I don't know and, and look it up. Um, that's one thing. I mean, I, I bounce ideas off of other, uh, tech directors a lot. Um, or if I see something that someone's done, that's really cool and something that I've never done before, I'll reach out to them and be like, walk me through how you did that. Because I want it, you know, even if it's something that like, I don't think I'm going to need for a show that's coming up. I'm like, okay, I still want to know how this was done because it might be useful down the line. I mean, Mel Edwards, I think, is a great example of that because um, I know she made, like, her own um, LED strip lights uh, and embedded them into a set. And I was like, that's not something that I need on any show in the near future. Like, anything that is on my docket right now of things that I'm working on but my gosh, that's a cool effect and I'm going to use it at some point. So I want to know how it's done. Um, and that's, I, I, I'm always learning new stuff. And, and I feel like every show 
presents a new set of challenges that and a new requirement in terms of design that other ones haven't that you know and it's just that's part of the fun for me is like figuring out okay well you know what in my bag of tricks is going to work and what new stuff do i need to add to that bag of tricks to make this show work the way it needs to work yeah that's i love that answer too uh so you've 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 done a great job so let's see how i can screw you up on this this is the last question <laughs> so uh so you didn't grow up anywhere near the uil world right the one act no, world so no. uh and um this will come out during one x season yeah. so i i kind of want to know from you a, a little bit about your story of like how that was introduced to you how you felt about it um i don't need to know how you feel about it now if that if you know <laughs> unless it's positive uh but uh don't want to get you in trouble but yeah. um you know i want explain to me how because linda major is part of the pun but a major player in the oh, UIL game right so yeah. so her introducing it to you and my my introduction was really pam wilson uh i mm -hmm. worked a year with a gentleman named brandon t arena but he was kind of new too at the time but pam wilson who at the time was also a a big like we're gonna do this and we made it to region twice i mean that was my introduction and mm -hmm. so it was a slap in the face and here's competitive theater for you. What was, what was that kind of that like? Yeah. That, that's how I'll get you out of here. So I, so that internship that I mentioned earlier happened to be right in the middle of UIL season that year. Um, so, and it was the year after Linda made it all the way to state with picnic and they were doing um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and like, um, even though it really wasn't required of, of my internship for me to like stay for those after school rehearsals, um, those two weeks as they were prepping for their first competition, um, I did because I just wanted to see like, well, what the heck is this process like and what, like, what's all, what's the big deal about, you know, UIL? Because it is very different that, and we didn't do anything like that in, in California. So, and we had like, acting festivals and and different things but nothing to that scale where you're you know doing a full really a full show um that you're traveling with and and setting up in seven minutes and um it was i i'm really i feel really blessed that my internship was during that season and i could see how that worked and i i i was there at the time what like the time in the process where blocking was done but was still being refined a little bit tech was done but was still being refined a little bit um they were timing their setup and teardown and making sure that it was going to stay on under that seven minute timeline and like i i got to see the process i think at like the pivotal point in the uil process like right before you go to contest so my first year teaching when we did uh, children's hour, like I walked into children's hour being like, okay, I I'm, I have a really good understanding of what this looks like until we get to contest. I didn't have any idea what a contest looked like, uh, but I had a really good understanding of like, everything has to be portable. Everything has to be, you know, everything has to like, you know, interlock in some way or, or, you know, be weighted in some way or, you know, like, um, Linda also gave me like the UIL handbook, I believe during the 
the internship. So I like looked over that and I was like, there are some weird rules here, but okay. Like there's a lot of interesting constraints that you have to work in uh, under. And, you know, I think that really, really helps um, being an intern during that process. And I feel like I even went to one of their clinics during my internship too, which really, you know, put things into perspective a lot. So has that changed how you feel about theater at all? Um, yes and no. I mean, I feel like the UIL is a great, like a great teaching tool for our students because I think a lot of times our students think that theater has to be like crazy big and extravagant because that's what, you know, they see when the Broadway tours come through. And, you know, I love that. Broadway shows are now being filmed and and broadcast, but like that's not you know that's usually our students' exposure to a lot of our students' exposure to the theater is like oh I watched Hamilton on Disney Plus and it's like great, good for you, but not every show is that big and you don't need all of that stuff to tell a story, and sometimes you can do some really incredible things in a seven minute setup and teardown and I mean I've seen some wildly creative. UIL shows um, that utilize, I just love it when like people use that, let's be honest, ugly UIL set. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, not absolutely. an attractive set, but they create something gorgeous and expensive looking out of these, you know, gray boxes and pillars and stairs. And like, it, it's just, I think it, it does kind of change. Um, it has changed my idea of like what high school theater can be. Um, and it, it really is impressive to me. Like these students can go into a space that they've never been into before, rehearse in there for an hour and put on a professional quality show. Um, it, it really is amazing when you think about it in, in that perspective. And like, I have so much respect for our kids and what they're, what they're able to do as you know, young artists at the beginning of their careers. It's, it's really incredible. Minor wisdom. <laughs>